Well, it is time to go to the south of France. Formula One returning from a weekend off the French Grand Prix. It is round 12, and we are now second half of the season, even though we have two more races until the summer break. While France is not my favorite circuit by any means, the Circuit de Paul Ricard, I am looking forward to some of the storylines that we can see play out for Sunday's Grand Prix. We've got our five things to watch out for this weekend, plus a track talk circuit. We'll go over what Paul Ricard has in store. Plus, we have our top five and bottom five from Austria. First, this is the Overtake F1 podcast. I'm Tony Desiri. Glad you could join us. If you've been listening to this podcast, I hope you've subscribed. If not, please do. It really helps us out, helps us grow the podcast. If you're a first-time listener, thank you for joining us, and I hope you will subscribe as well. I am an American broadcaster. I have a sports radio show for the Sports Map Radio Network. Big Formula One fan saw it growing in the United States a year ago. I decided to start this podcast. All right, Paul Ricard is not my favorite circuit by any means. It's kind of boring. To be honest with you, I always see these races as kind of necessary in a full calendar because every run that you have at Silverstone or Monza or Spa, these are some of my favorite circuits, you have to take stops like this. It's not terrible, but they have not been all that exciting in the past. However, this is still a Grand Prix weekend, and the race could be instrumental in the championship chase for Ferrari, or it could be another extension of the fantastic season so far for Red Bull. And for that reason, it deserves my attention as an F1 fan. Now, we're going to go over the circuit in our track talk segment. I promise not to be too harsh on Paul Ricard, but until then, here are some top five things that we need to watch for this weekend. One, is Ferrari seriously making a run? Carlos Sainz won at Silverstone and Charles Leclerc won at Austria, so that's two in a row for the Scuderia, but this is just a moment in the sun, or have they flipped the tables on Red Bull, and can they keep climbing back into this championship race? It's not going to be easy, because as long as Max Verstappen finishes races, he's likely to be one or two on the podium. But now Ferrari has a situation that will make their strategy calls a little bit easier. Leclerc is now the lone driver in their stable that can win a championship. Now, we've had a lot of conversations about signs. He had a P2 in Monaco and Canada, a win at Silverstone. Right now, though, Leclerc is the only Ferrari driver with a real chance to battle for the title. So this is going to make Ferrari's strategy calls involving him and Sainz a little bit easier. Where before, you know, Carlos Sainz had every good reason to believe that calls should be made in favor of him if he had a chance to win the race. Now it really should be focusing on Leclerc and getting him ahead so he can make a run at Max Verstappen in the Drivers' Championship. Number two, Mick Schumacher is gaining points. Can he continue? Now, this has been a really roller coaster season for Mick, the son of the legend. I think a lot of people were pulling for Mick, and it was a rough start to the season. He crashed twice, and man, they were costly for Haas. The rumbling started that maybe he was just kind of a too much of a liability for the team. Kevin Magnuson was running in the points at the beginning of the season, and nothing was really working for Mick. But over the last two races, that has changed. He finished eighth at Silverstone, had a really good battle with Max Verstappen near the end, and then a sixth-place finish in Austria. And these points have really helped Haas get out of the basement in the Constructors' Championship. But more importantly, he is starting to waken up fans around the world to his possible potential. These may seem like little gains now, but you got to start somewhere, and this is a good start over the last two races for Mick Schumacher's points career in Formula One. 
three, and this really goes without saying, you can almost do this every single week leading into the Grand Prix weekend, and that is Mercedes. People have been saying it. I've been saying it. I think Mercedes is bound for a victory at some point this season. Even if Fred Bull and Ferrari are showing pace that Mercedes can't even match at some circuits, I think Mercedes is going to win. Paul Ricard, this may be different. The team struggled with a car that bounced all over the place at the beginning of the season. It was not competitive for wins. George Russell, though, has had a fantastic season, and Lewis Hamilton has been on the podium the last three races. Um, But winning a Grand Prix this season just hasn't happened for the team. But this particular circuit has a good amount of high speed and medium speed corners that might play in Mercedes hands. Uh, Again, they haven't really dialed in the 2022 car they've wanted, but again, this car is not running in the back. They're showing some fight at at times during these Grand Prix weekends. And I do think they're going to win in this circuit where it may actually happen. Now they do need to qualify better crashing in Austria like they did and putting themselves in a position where they had to overcome some real serious issues on the track to get the kind of results that they did. They can't do that here. But if they do qualify well, they could be a factor in Sunday's race in terms of getting the checkered flag. All right, four, McLaren versus Alpine. We have 11 races in the books. These two teams are tied with 81 points in the Constructors' race. They're battling for P4. For McLaren, they're basically getting all of their points from Lando Norris. No surprise. He has 64. Daniel Ricciardo, who has struggled this year, has only given the team 17. Both Esteban Ocon and Fernando Alonso have been in the top 10 in points. Both have alternated good weekends versus bad. They have shared the load in this 81 total points for Alpine. McLaren's situation with Ricardo is getting more and more talked about, especially with the team's testing program that included Colton Herta at Portimao, Alex Pillow. And don't forget Ocon, who finished P14 last year in France, is going to want a better showing in front of the home crowd. And also, this is the team's home race as well. All right, number five, and this is the final thing, but I did want to touch on this. It's not so much a team thing or a driver thing. It's mostly the race weekend, especially the Grand Prix. Will the race be boring? Now, i got a couple of thoughts on this. First, the last few years of Paul Ricard have not been great races, nothing too memorable. But remember, Formula One just went back to Paul Ricard in 2018 after not running the French Grand Prix the previous nine years. So coming back in 2018 and 2019, they were won by a dominating Mercedes team with Lewis Hamilton taking victory. Now, that's why people were kind of bored with the race. Mercedes was that dominant. Now, in 2020, they didn't go back to France because of COVID and kind of putting that schedule together, so they returned in 2021. Now, last year was a completely different thing. Max Verstappen pulled off overtake on the penultimate lap, passing Lewis Hamilton, getting the win. Red Bull used a two-stop strategy, undercutting Hamilton, getting fresh tires for the win. Remember, Valtteri Botas was upset. He told the team a two-stop strategy was the right strategy to get a victory. Sergio Perez got a podium finish for Red Bull. It was not a boring race. There was a lot of good things about the race last year in France. So again, it depends on how you view it. I know a lot of people look at the circuit, and it's not the most exciting circuit around. But if you look at why the French Grand Prix has been boring at Paul Ricard, Remember, there was a dominating Mercedes presence in 2018 and 2019, the first two years when Formula One restarted the French Grand Prix. That's probably has a lot to do with it. Don't get me wrong, and we'll get to the track talk segment in a bit. It's not everybody's favorite track by any means. It's not going to be on the list of the favorites, poll people around the world who love Formula One. But I got to think this plays a little bit of factor in how people view this race. 
last year, again, was pretty exciting. It wasn't boring. But when you have a Lewis Hamilton that can dominate on a circuit like that, then the races do become dull. Even in, in, the, in the back where people are like, it's not so much who wins. I want to see competition throughout the field. Didn't do that in 2018 and 2019. Is the 2022 car going to create closer racing and better battles? Well, as we'll talk about in a little bit, this track's got a lot of straights. And so we might see some good overtake. We might actually see some really fun track battles. So will the race be boring? My early prediction is no, but I do understand why people have a concern about the French Grand Prix because in the few years that it has run since it's returned to the calendar, it hasn't always been that. All right, let's get to our track talk segment. The Circuit de Paul Ricard running just under six kilometers in length, 5.84. And there's going to be 53 laps in Sunday's Grand Prix. This is a circuit that's pretty wide. There's going to be different lines drivers can take around the circuit and also different places to overtake. There are three straights and there's one really nice high level G-force corner, really long sweeping corner that really puts the G-force pressures. Wind absolutely can play a factor in this Grand Prix can really affect the aerodynamics 15 corners there is a chicane down one of the long straights there's been an argument whether or not that should be there and and, and whatnot but nevertheless this is a circuit you can overtake you can pass as i mentioned earlier it has led to some boring races but again last year was interesting because max verstappen was the only front runner that went with the two pit stop strategy mostly this is a one-stop race they did have some rain right before the grand prix so there was some tire degradation. Ferrari, it was a disastrous day for them last season, if you remember, because of the tire degradation. And one other interesting note to, about this circuit is that is where the new 18-inch tires were tested by Renault back in 2019. So it has become a really good track for testing. The French fans, always passionate about Formula One, like a lot of stops around the world, very passionate about Alpine and their drivers, Pierre Gasly will be racing in front of his home crowd as well. So it should be, again, an exciting weekend. But they're all pretty exciting weekends, no matter where they go around the world. But that's the circuit to Paul Ricard. Again, I wonder if a two-stop strategy will be in play this weekend. We shall see. Uh, Max Verstappen definitely used that to his advantage. And as I mentioned earlier, Valtteri Bottas thought that for that particular race and that those particular circumstances that a two-stopper for Mercedes should have worked, but they did not, and they ended up paying the prices. Verstappen ended up with the checkered flag passing Lewis Hamilton uh, on the second to the last lap. All right, it's time to look back at Austria. we got our top five and bottom five, and then we'll get into a little bit of news before we wrap up this podcast. We start with the bottom five, and if you're new to top five, bottom five, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, Top five, bottom five could be drivers, teams. It could be the circuit. It could be the weather. It could be anything. So let's start with the bottom five. We'll go to five all the way to one. Number five is Sergio Perez. Now, Sergio Perez tried to make that outside pass of George Russell coming out of turn four at Austria. He made contact with the Mercedes, spun into the gravel. And although Russell got the five second penalty, that was a tough move for Perez to make at that part of the circuit. He paid the price, had some early damage. Red Bull ended up retiring the car to protect it when and he was clearly not going to be moving up to gather any points. Now, they did catch a break with Carlos Sainz with a DNF, but a DNF that early for Red Bull put them in a bind. Sergio Perez is five on our bottom five. Let's go to four. This is a team, and this is Aston Martin. Neither driver finished in the points. 
Sebastian Vettel spun out and finished 17th. He was the last of all the cars that finished the Grand Prix. He did not, that did not retire. Lance Stroll was up in the top five early, but he was making a set of hard tires last a while, but he ended up 13th. Man, this has been a really, really tough year for this team. They're currently ninth in the constructor's standings just ahead of Williams. It has been really, really tough. Mike Crack has really got his work cut out for him. Number three, this is, again, a caveat here. I really wasn't going to give him the bottom five, but Carlos Sainz. This is not his fault. He was. This was more of a Ferrari thing than a Carlos Sainz thing, but I'll try to make it a little bit larger than just a simple DNF in Austria. This is not a driver problem at all. He was running for P2 right on the back of Max Verstappen, coming off that corner in turn three, going into that straight, getting the ready to pass, and then the engine failed. And not only did the engine fail as he pulled off into the runoff area, it caught on fire. All his momentum over the last number of races went kaput. More than that, though, as we stated earlier, and this is why Signs unfortunately, is in the bottom five, because of Leclerc's win, this makes the strategy calls a little easier for Ferrari when they got both drivers competing. Leclerc is going to be the focal point of getting the points race with Max Verstappen. We had a conversation about the championship aspirations for Carlos Sainz this season. Remember, P2 at Canada, P2 in Monaco. He fit in one at, at Silverstone. He was really starting to gain a lot of momentum, but it's gone now. This DNF did more than just Carlos Sainz didn't finish the race at Austria. It now means Carlos Sainz is not going to be the beneficiary of any strategy calls going forward during Grand Prix that Carlos Sainz could benefit from. Instead, they're going to let Leclerc benefit from that. Number two, Red Bull. It's tough because in a game of, this is tough because in the game of damage limitation, they did pass the test. Let's be honest. Verstappen got a P2. And while they lost Sergio Garcia early in the Grand Prix, his DNF and the DNF for Carlos Sainz makes it a wash. However, this is their track. Max is so good in Austria. He won both races there last season. They just didn't have Ferrari's pace. Max wasn't going to catch Leclerc. And if Sainz didn't suffer engine problems, he would have caught and passed Max as well. They did escape disaster this weekend, but they should have been better at Red Bull Ring. Absolutely should have been better. Now, they did win the sprint race, so the damage of the points wasn't as bad, but nevertheless, they could have really, really put an end to this uh, with a good, strong finish from both Max Verstappen and Sergio Perez. And number one, AlphaTari. Both drivers finished outside the top 10. Pierre Gilly was 15th. Yuki Tsunoda finished 16th. And I don't remember anything either driver did other than Gasly making contact with Vettel. That's all I got. I, I got to give it to somebody. So I'm going to give it to Alfa Tari. I could have done Nicholas Latifi again. If you guys want me to do that, I'll be more than happy to continue to rap on Nicholas Latifi's season. But nevertheless, number one is Alfa Tari because I don't even remember what you did. So good night, sweetheart. All right, let's get to the top five from the Austrian Grand Prix. Number five, Mercedes. Three, four finish for the Silver Arrows. They're starting to get really close to a victory, as I mentioned earlier. Lewis Hamilton got another podium finish. That's three in a row for him. And George Russell, another top five. That's 10 in 11 races this season. They both had really terrible qualifying efforts on Friday for the sprint race on Saturday. Remember, both drivers crashed. Mercedes engineers did a fantastic job getting those cars back out there. They both overcame really serious obstacles, both drivers and engineers, to finish strong for the week 
weekend. Russell ended up with a five-second penalty for his contact with Perez. And again, Lewis Hamilton had that big crash on Friday. Mercedes as a team, you deserve all the credit. It was a great weekend in Austria. 3-4 finish given everything that was happening right before the Grand Prix. Congratulations, you're five on the top five. Number four, I'm giving this to Lando Norris, even though I will admit, and he would admit, it could have been a better day for him. He finished P7. He did suffer a five-second track limit penalty. He also came in contact with some sausage curbs. That cost him some time, but he did turn a P10 start, didn't really have a good sprint qualifying race, and he turned it into a P7 despite those problems. But as I mentioned earlier, they're in a battle with Alpine for P4 in the constructors. They're going to need a lot of points from him. Daniel Ricciardo finishes the points, but not a lot. Lando Norris is the main guy at McLaren that's keeping this race with Alpine alive. So a P7, any finish in the top 10 for Lando Norris and McLaren is going to be good because you never know what Danny Rick is going to give you. Three, and this goes into that same P4 battle, it's Esteban Ocon. He had a sixth place finish during the sprint race and then finished in the top five on Sunday, finishing P5. And man, that was pretty quiet too. Like I was mentioning earlier with Yuki Tsunoda and Pierre Gasly, I didn't really notice much about them other than a contact with Sebastian Vettel. I don't really remember a lot of stuff about Esteban Ocon either. Man, that was like a P6 to a P5. Not bad with a Sergio Perez out of the race. It's probably what he would have done without any real serious overtaking or a big strong run on anything. But nevertheless, he got the car to the finish line and it was a great finish for them as they try to keep up with McLaren for P4 in the constructors. Esteban Ocon is number three in top five. Number two, Charles Leclerc. Here's your race winner. He had the pace to beat Max and he did. And it was his first win since round three in Australia. And it also puts him within 38 points of Verstappen in the driver's championship. I know, I know. It's a lot, man. It's still a lot. You would really need the kind of run Lewis Hamilton had to make to make up for the ground. Because as long as Max finishes races, as I said before, he's on the podium. But unless you get Max with some damage and he's kind of limping the car around like he did at Silverstone, or maybe DNFs like in Australia, you can be right back into this thing. But nevertheless, you got to take baby steps to get back in a championship in which you found yourself way down They've done it. The Ferrari has won the last two Grand Prix. Charles Leclerc has won this race. He's going to win the strategy uh, decisions now with Ferrari. So this was not only a big win for Leclerc just in terms of getting a victory, but it also really sets the stage for the final 11 races of the season as far as the Scuderia are thinking in the championship battle. And one other thing, uh, I don't know if anybody's ever thought of this, and I, I hope they haven't, because I think it's cool. I don't know if you'll think it's cool. you probably roll your eyes when you hear this. Charles Leclerc has the first two races of the gold triple crown in formula one here's what i mean he's won in australia he's won at austria if he wins the u.s grand prix in austin he will have won three races with the au in the beginning and au period uh never mind i'm sorry it was silly i know but okay Roll with that how you want to roll with that. All right, number one, Mick Schumacher. I gave it to him when he got his first points in Formula One after his run at Silverstone, but I got to give it to him again because he's driver of the day. Second straight race with points, best finish ever, a P6. And now get this, he's got 12 points. He has more than Yuki Tsunoda, Guan Zhou, both Williams drivers, especially you, Nicholas Latifi, and Lance Stroll. Good job, Mick. So you are number one. Fans voted you driver of the day. I got you number one in my top five in Austria. 
All right, one other bit of news that I did want to get to, the FIA confirming that Michael Massey is stepping down, moving back to Australia. Massey, who was sort of demoted from race director director after what happened at Abu Dhabi last year, and then he acted in good faith, but in the end he ignored the way the race was supposed to end, and nevertheless he is done uh, with his time in Formula One. There are moments with officials, and we see this in a lot of sports, where you can do things right for a while and not be in the news, but you are going to be in the news when you do something incorrectly. Uh, We've seen this with umpires in Major League Baseball. We see it with referees in the NFL. If you are in the news, it is not because you called a good game. Race directors sort of are in the news for that reason as well in Formula One. We don't really talk about them when they execute the rule book effectively. We only talk about them when they execute the rule book in a way that affects any race or any sort of circumstance. And you couldn't ask for a bigger stage to make your name on a stamp than what Michael Massey did at Abu Dhabi. That race is forever going to be linked to Michael Massey. You can talk about Verstappen's first world championship. You can talk about how that race ending was exciting and how people around the world reacted to it. But the reality of it is Michael Massey's name is right attached to it. His decision to let Max Verstappen be right behind Lewis Hamilton on fresher tires with one lap to go, not and then just letting those safety, those cars between Hamilton and Verstappen pass them, but not everybody else. That race by the rule book should have ended under yellow. I know Max Verstappen fans don't like to hear that, but it should have. I personally am glad it didn't. I was, I think the ending was more exciting. I do understand why he did it. He was trying to give a show. That's what racing is about. But there are rules that you have to follow, and Massey's stamp is going to be on that race forever, no matter how you look at it. Whether you're thrilled Verstappen won or very disappointed Hamilton lost or just in between, Michael Massey forever linked to one of the more controversial moments in the sport of Formula One. All right, once again, please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Really do appreciate it. This is kind of what, if you're new to it, we keep it around 20 to 25 minutes in previews and reviews. Maybe down the road, I'll get some guests and we'll expand it just a little bit. But right now, my thought process is there are plenty of Formula One podcasts that do that. I'm kind of more of a pocket size. I want to get in and out in about 25 minutes, get you hitting with the with the news and uh, notes of Formula One, the race previews, the race reviews. So I do hope you enjoy it. And I do hope you'll share it with other Formula One fans, no matter where you are around the world. But I did start this because of growing interest in Formula One in the United States. And boy, it is taking off like wildfire as a guy who's followed the sport for a long time. I did want to use my sports broadcasting experience to deliver this kind of podcast. So I do hope you enjoy it. My predictions for the Grand Prix, pretty simple. I do think Red Bull bounces back. I think for Stappen wins, but I do think Ferrari is going to make an interesting day out of it. I do think that track will suit them as they are continuing to get better and better every single week. My, my opinion on Ferrari, even though they've got a lot of momentum winning the last two Grand Prix, they do still struggle at times with things that they shouldn't be struggling with. Um, so I'm not really committed to them winning this race they certainly are capable but I do think this is Red Bull's answer to what happened in Austria they should have won in Austria they didn't have the pace I think they find the pace in France and they win at the circuit to Paul Ricard be with us next week for the review of the French Grand Prix and once again I really do appreciate your support I'm Tony Desiri and this is the Overtake F1 podcast